Let's talk about a struggle many of us know all too well, losing weight. Remember those days when everyone was on a juice cleanse or just basically hangry all the time? That was no fun for anyone. Well, there's a better, more sustainable way to shed those pounds. Today, I want to introduce you to Row Body. It's not your typical weight loss program. Instead of all the gimmicks, they offer access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. But here's the real deal. They pair these shots with simple lifestyle changes, helping you lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Plus, over 200,000 people have already seen results with Robody. So what sets Robody apart? The support. They handle all the insurance stuff for you and give you access to a provider whenever you need them. And the best part, you can sign up online from home, no doctor's appointments and no waiting rooms. Say goodbye to those days of hangry juice cleanses. With Robody, losing weight is straightforward and sustainable. Take that first step today and say hello to a healthier, happier you. Kickstart your weight loss journey the right way and head to ro.co slash I do. That's ro.co slash I D O. Sign up today for just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Remember, medication costs are separate. That's row.co slash I do. Hey, Love Tribe. Today's episode is brought to you by one of my personal favorites, Cozy Earth. They've got something special for all the mothers out there. So anyone who wants to shower the special woman in their lives with love and the comfort they deserve, listen up. Hands down, Cozy Earth has the best sheets, bedding, pajama sets, and more. So today, I'm excited to share that Relationship Advice listeners get an exclusive 35% off discount. Simply go to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do at checkout. The first time I tried their bamboo sheets, I was blown away. The comfort level is insane. I just love slipping into their seriously soft and cool sheets after a long day. And for a mom who knows that the struggle of sleep deprivation is real. Cozy Earth's temperature regulating technology has been a lifesaver. No more waking up sweating or freezing. But what really sold me is the quality of the bamboo sheets. They are by far the most comfortable sheets I have ever slept in. They are made to last years, which they have. I think at this point, I have about six sets of them. And they have a 100-night sleep free trial and a 10-year warranty. So you know you're getting something that is going to stick around. So if you're ready to prioritize your sleep health and treat yourself or the mom in your life to the luxury she deserves, head on over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code I do for an exclusive 35% off because every mom deserves a good night's sleep. And with Cozy Earth, you can finally get the rest you need. Hello, everyone. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show where I welcome Dr. Julia D. Ganji. And Dr. Julia is a neuropsychologist who completed her residency at Harvard Medical School, Boston University School of Medicine, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. She has nearly two decades of experience studying the connection between our brains and our behavior. And as you will hear in our conversation, Dr. Julia is super passionate and knowledgeable about all things psychology, all things relationship, all things parenting, and we get into all of this. We start by talking about the impact of intergenerational problems and how our childhood affects us in our adult relationships and really dive into the parent-child relationship. And I know you guys are going to get a lot of interesting things to think about. And then towards the end of our conversation, we talk a lot about being a parent and how a lot of the ideas that we talk about on this podcast about how we relate and how we can apply that to being a better parent with that awareness. It's something that I definitely think about a lot. Being the father to a seven-year-old daughter is taking all this information that, that I get through these conversations, applying it to my life and in my relationships. But how do I give this information to Stella and give her the tools or how am I impacting her by the way I parent. And Dr. Julia is also a parent to two children and has a really great perspective and lots of valuable information around this area. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Enjoy today's show. Hi, Dr. Julia. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. I'm so glad to be here with you, Chase. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you about your research and some actionable tips that that you're going to have for our listeners. And I thought a good place to start would be having you share a little bit about your research, why you enjoy doing the research you do, and then we'll dive into a conversation starting with intergenerational patterns that we bring forward. Absolutely. So I always tell people that I'm a neuropsychologist, which means I'm a clinical psychologist with specialized expertise in the brain. And when I really think about my work, I think about my work in the context of the brain, relationships, and emotional power. So when, I, when I'm talking about emotional power, I'm talking about who we show up as in our relationships. So I think that we've all had these moments where the relationships are just working, right? The, the Our partners are agreeing, our kids are listening, the things are working, but those moments kind of drive themselves. To really empower our relationships, I think we need to really look at who we become in these moments of emotional resistance. So who do I become when my partner's not agreeing with me? Who do I become when like you're not doing it my way? Who do I become when I don't like the words coming out of your mouth? And these are really the, the profound moments of transformation that can take a relationship from bad to extraordinary. Through your research, are you are you monitoring our brain activity when we're becoming these not so great versions of ourselves? So my brain research looks a lot at the traumatized brain. And so, you know, what we basically look at is psychopathology. So things like PTSD, anxiety, panic, generalized anxiety, social anxiety. What we are very clear about in the research, and, you know, I'm just talking about the research very broadly, is that 
the majority of pain in our lives comes from interpersonal issues, right? The ways that we are, we kind of find the life we've been dreaming of and the, and the ways that break our heart, these things really happen in relationships. And so, you know, to answer your question, I just want to say that I think that there is so much healing that can happen in relationships and there's so much pain that can happen in relationships. So I always talk about the potentiality of relationships. Whether there's so much kind of power and energy in a relationship, but whether it's used for good or whether it's used for injury, that's really the question that I think has such a defining effect on our lives. Absolutely. And it's going to, yeah, as you said, like cause us the most pain and the most joy. And we're not born or nor are we taught the tools to navigate them that well, unfortunately, you are so right about that, right? I think a lot of us grew up in families, and even if we had really well-intentioned parents, I think they're just, you know, you brought up this idea of intergenerational transmission, intergenerational transmission of pain, intergenerational transmission of ideas, intergenerational transmission of behaviors. So I always say the most intelligent relation, the most intelligent intelligence on the planet is relational intelligence. We have literally put a rover on Mars. We will figure out artificial intelligence before we will figure out how to relate in incredibly intelligent ways to each other. And I always say like the entire pain of the world really begins in our homes. So the most complicated relationships on the planet are the relationships on some level between parent and child, but the most complex relationship on the planet is the relationship between long-term lovers. There is not a single relationship on the planet that is more complex. And to your earlier point, the playbook we're using in terms of how to relate to our partners, our lovers, our wives, our husbands, our spouses, has a lot to do with how we were treated in childhood. And that can create a lot of confusion and a lot of conflict. Let's dive into that. How are we taught from our parents how to relate and how does that show up negatively? And then I want to talk about how we can reprocess that. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, that is a huge question. So I'll take it and then you just kind of jump in. So we are, first of all, we have to realize that our native language is not actually a native language of words. Our native, long, long, long before the child speaks in words, the child is speaking in emotional energy. Now, I always say, this is, I think, kind of an interesting point that I make, um, is I do a ton of work with couples. I do a ton of work with high-conflict couples. I do a ton of work in really complex family systems. And I always say, I don't know what love means. I know what attachment means. I know what attunement means. I know what loyalty means. I know what fidelity means. So let me just say, like, what we learn from our parents is we learn the energy of attachment. So what this means is I learned at a very, very early age, at at a time when the brain is at its most formative, how much I matter and how much I don't. Who comes to me when I'm in pain and who ignores me? What comfort looks like? What comfort doesn't look like? And I think what then happens is I start to have these models. Lots of this stuff is unspoken and unconscious of what a connection with another attachment figure looks like. Except the problem is my partner has a whole different script from that. So it's like we show up to star in the same movie, 
except I'm reading, I don't know, something out of like Titanic and he's reading something out of Star Wars. And unless we can like figure it out, it turns into a total mess really fast. So it's like people are, you know, we we use this term a lot like love language. I think it's even more than a love language. I think it's this energy language. It's like, how do you show me through your energy that I matter? How do you show me through your energy that you love me? How do you show me through your energy that you're attracted to me or you're frustrated with me? Um, And I think until couples really start to think about what languages they learned in their childhood and then how the rubber's hitting the road in their longer term relationships, there can be a lot of pain. I love this thread of emotional energy. And it it just had me thinking of some things that, as you said, like they're beyond words. And we're certainly going to pick up how we relate through this energy from our parents. But I want to just go to like an adult relationship and that feeling of how good it feels when that energy is sparking and aligned. I think that's what like being in love is, especially early on. And a lot of times it is beyond words. And hopefully if we were conditioned and raised in a loving household, when we get that recognition from from an adult partner of that same loving that we got as a child, it just sends us to the moon. And sometimes I when you were saying energy, I just think of like body language and tone and a hand on the shoulder and all these things that we don't talk about a ton. And the language behind it is not great. It's very nuanced, but that can mean so much in a relationship. And how do we feel when we're in the presence of another person? Are they looking at us in the eye when we're talking to them? Are they looking at us or are they looking at their phone? So I just love that. Is any of that being researched or is it put into language when it comes to adult relationships? Yeah, I mean, I think there's tons of really, really skilled people that are researching the the romantic relationship. And there's certainly tons of people on the front lines doing a lot of phenomenal work in clinical practice. What I will say to you is that when that, because if you think about it, I actually just did an interview with someone and we were talking about the chemistry, the neurochemistry of being in love. So that early phase that you're talking about where like you can't sleep, you can't get enough of it. It almost becomes this kind of like obsessive thing. You know, it's like it's so electric to be around them. You, you can't get enough of them. That feeling is, first of all, it's so powerful. And it can be both really exciting and really anxiety provoking. What I think it's really doing to sort of the the nervous system and also the human spirit is a lot of times when you listen to people in that stage of love like that, they say something like, I can't believe I just met you. I feel like I have known you my whole life. My little kids watch, I have two little kids and they watch Frozen. And even when, um, you know, Anna falls in love with the prince, like one of the lines is like, we finished each other's, not sentences, but they both say sandwiches, right? So it's like, we're completing each other's sentences. We get each other's jokes. What's really being activated there is this sense of familiarity. Well, familiarity of what? Because I just met you familiarity of what I call the old childhood coding. So the sense of like, whatever, now this is the part that's really important to understand, whatever, it's kind of both for the light side and the dark side. 
whatever, because no matter how good our childhood were, you know, our, all of our parents are human. And so hopefully some things went right and also some things go wrong. So what these kind of really intense romantic bonds do for us is they activate this old coding to say, you are here in this relationship to finish unfinished emotional business. What I always say is no one partners in a long-term romantic relationship on accident. So you've now brought kind of this old coding to the surface. So in the ways that you had like loved being seen by, for example, your mother and your father, maybe this person reminds you of that. Also in the things you did not get from your parents. So let's say your parents, um, there's two primary injuries that our parents do to us. The first injury is the, the pain of abuse. So our parents were abusive to us. They were really critical. They were demeaning. Some, sometimes they hit us. The other main form of injury our parents can deliver to us is the pain of neglect. So they were not attuned to us. They made us feel like we didn't matter. So the two main childhood injuries are the pain of abuse and the pain of neglect. Okay. So let's imagine that my, my father was really... He suffocated me. He was a good man, but he was always suffocating me. He was always asking for my attention and too needy and too clingy. Well, if I then get in a relationship with someone and I feel all this electricity with them as an adult, and part of the reason I like this person is because, oh my God, they give me this amazing sense of freedom. What's happening is that old childhood wound of like being smothered is kind of being reignited. And I'm I, now I have this fantasy, this unspoken fantasy, that when we get together, you're finally going to give me the freedom I have been longing for my whole life. Now, here's what happens in the long-term relationship. Your instinct is probably right. Let's call my partner George. George might really give me a profound amount of freedom, but I can promise you that over time, I'm going to start saying, I don't think George loves me so much. He doesn't really pay attention to me. He doesn't text me multiple times a day. He doesn't want to sit with me at the end of the day and ask me a bunch of questions. And so the very thing that my father showed me through his behaviors was my father's form of love, which was a very, very deep interest that oftentimes also felt like suffocation. My partner is going to give me the sense of freedom, but not give me the sense of suffocation. So this childhood wound is being activated, both giving me what I want, but also showing me what I no longer have. So unless I, as an adult, can kind of hold that contrast, hold that duality in a really sophisticated way, I'm going to leave the relationship because I'm going to say, you don't really love me because you don't smother me. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. When you work full time, have kids and run a podcast, it's hard to make time for a multiple step skincare protocol. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. Let me repeat it. They make it easy no complicated routine, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. If you're looking for skincare products that are simple and effective, for a limited time, you'll get an exclusive 15% off your first OneSkin purchase when using the code I do when you check out at oneskin.co. 
I've been using OneSkin's body lotion for about a month and I've already seen noticeable improvements with small wrinkles and textures on my skin, specifically on the back of my neck and the back of my hands, two places where I get a lot of sun. Plus, my skin looks and feels healthier all around. It's all thanks to OneSkin's revolutionary OS-01 peptide, the first ingredient proven to deactivate aging cells responsible for lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. Unlike traditional skincare products that only mask symptoms, OneSkin pioneered a new approach integrating tissue engineering and cutting-edge science to enhance skin biology for lasting resilience against aging. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using the code IDO at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with the code IDO. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support your show and tell them we sent you. If you're tuning into today's show, you're probably aware that mental health and relationship challenges are a part of life, but they don't have to define you and you're not alone. If you've ever wished that you could join a conversation with an expert and call into a show in a similar vein as relationship advice, here's an opportunity for you. If you're navigating something messy, call the Dr. John Deloney show. His show recently hit top five of all podcasts on Apple Podcasts and for a good reason. With a PhD in counseling and two decades of experience sitting with people, Dr. Deloney brings practical advice on how to connect with others, face depression, overcome anxiety, and find true wellness. This caller-driven show tackles real-life issues from relationships to emotional well-being. Dr. Deloney walks alongside people just like you as they navigate tough decisions. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney Show is here for you. Send your questions, leave a voicemail at 844-693-3291 or email askjohn at ramseysolutions.com. They want to talk to you. Listen to The Dr. John Deloney Show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on our website. That's such a funny and sad example in a sense, you know, because it it's so true. We play out these childhood wounds or the childhood good things that we feel and, and somehow that the same thing can create this duality, as you said. So what do we, what do we do with that? It seems like start with the awareness and, and then how can we navigate it so that for your example, that we realize, and then we stay in the relationship, but then maybe we need to communicate with our partner. I like the freedom that you give me, but sometimes I feel great when you, when you text me, ask me how my day is going. So great. I mean, such a, Powerful question. You're exactly right. So there's a couple of things. The first is that I'm gonna I'm gonna say this as a couples therapist, as someone who does a lot of couples work, I want to first say that I have seen that couples work can be the most profound, life giving, healing thing people can give as a gift to themselves into the relationship. That being said, the myth of couples therapy is always I'm gonna get into couples therapy, and this doctor right here is gonna finally tell my partner what he or she's been doing wrong all along. So the myth is like, I really need my partner to change 
so that I can experience love the way my childhood coding tells me love is supposed to go. Okay. So what, let's go back to this, this idea of like me and George. So let's say I say to George, I, first of all, have to have enough awareness that I'm not getting triggered. Because a lot of times we, this this emotional stuff is happening so fast and it's happening in a pretty unconscious way that we don't really language it in a powerful way and we get really passive aggressive. So George walks in and I say, well, I haven't heard from you all day. Instead of leaning in in this much more vulnerable and connected way to say, hey, I really missed you today. How were you? Can we spend a few minutes talking? Okay, so right there, I talk a lot in my work about emotional power. That is an incredibly mature and emotionally powerful thing to do is to say, let me first understand my own needs and then come to George and say, hey, I want to connect with you. Not get mad because George didn't understand a need in my nervous system and magically anticipate what my need was. That's the first part. But the second part is actually more powerful, more, more sustaining of the relationship and more difficult to do. And that is, A lot of times we say to our partners, this is such a big piece, Chase. I need you to fill the holes in me that I can't fill in myself. I actually think that I'm ugly. I need you to speak to me incessantly in ways that keep reminding me that I'm not ugly. So I want you to think of like the human spirit is like a a cup, okay? And there's all of us, have holes in our cup. Some of us have more holes and some of us have less, depending on how injured our spirits are. So the holy hope of the relationship, and this is why it's so electric at the beginning, is I'm going to get in this relationship with you and you are going to plug all the holes in my cup. You're going to make me feel like I walk on water. You're going to adore me. You're going to remind me how strong I am. You're going to remind me how intelligent I am. Well, that can only work for like three to six months. And then there's always this precipitous drop off because the brain calms down and people have to go back to life the way we think about life in terms of a long-term relationship. So if I still have that hole inside of me that says, hey, I feel unworthy and I need you to constantly through your behavior, plug that hole in me, this is going to create so much stress and pain in the relationship. So can I to my partner say, hey, you know what? It would really mean a lot to me if you text me every morning and every evening. Sure. And I think in in a healthy relationship, those kinds of requests can and should be accommodated. But the other piece here is if I really have a pervasive sense of there's something in in my core sense of self missing, if I want the relationship to really go on, I have to figure out how to hold my own energy in a healthier way or else I'm going to become too needy. And in order for a relationship to survive, you need two things. Yes, you need connection. But the other thing you need is disconnection. In other words, you need two separate selves to come together to create these beautiful, powerful relationships that we all imagine, not two kind of enmeshed enmeshed people who can't really hold hold themselves up. Is that making sense the way I'm describing this? Absolutely. And how can we cultivate that sense of self while also still being in relationship? Because I, I can see a, a place where it's a balance like anything, but but that we might be too in ourselves or we might put up walls to be like, because if I if I become a little enmeshed, then, then now I'm a, a little bit dependent on that person and that feels vulnerable and scary. So how do we find that balance? 
That's a great question too. And I think what you're really talking now about is attachment, right? And we think about attachment as kind of having, there's three categories of it. So there's secure attachment, which means like, and the securely attached person means when I'm with my partner, I can kind of have this very deep connection with my partner. But when I have to separate from my partner, in other words, when they have to go to work or I have to go on a trip or I haven't heard from them in a while via text or phone, I'm okay. I can hold my emotional posture up. So that's the that's the ideal. The second category is anxious attachment. And the anxious person who's attached will kind of be like, I, I need constant reassurance. Okay. The avoidant person in the relationship is the person who, and the childhood experience of the avoidant is they probably lived in a very neglectful childhood environment. So their parents were not paying attention to their child's emotional needs at all. So maybe the parent, maybe it was a single parent and the, and it was a mother and she had to work two jobs. And so she just wasn't around. Maybe there was addiction in the family. Maybe there was a lot of marital conflict. The point is the child's needs are not getting met. And for the avoidant, the the child learns, you know what, I have all these emotions. And every time I try to seek help with my emotions, it's a disaster. Now, those emotions as a child are so overwhelming. When the child is scared, the child is anxious, or the child is on edge, the child needs, this is a neurobiological need to be soothed by the attachment figure, okay? Well, the child's not getting that. So then the biology, the brain is a very brilliant thing, makes an adaptation and says, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to figure all this stuff out on my own. And so they kind of look like this, like, go it alone, really strong seven-year-old. And while that's a remarkable adaptation at seven, eight, nine, ten, the problem happens when you're 30 years old and you still have a go it alone attitude, but you're trying to be connected to another human. In other words, what usually happens in relationships is the anxious is is attracted to the avoidant and the avoidant is attracted to the anxious. Why? To activate those kind of coexisting wounds so that either the relationship is going to burn out, it's going to be too painful and too unsatisfying, or all that heartbreak from our childhood, all that pain from our childhood is finally going to be healed and released. So to go back to your question, the work of the avoidant, it's, it's it's the same lift. It's just lifting a different thing than the anxious. It's to say, how can I, when I start to lean in for a connection and then someone starts to really look back at me, both metaphorically and literally, when I get that sense of panic, like, oh my God, don't come any closer to me. How can I in safe ways say, let me just breathe and hold myself here. Let me reach out for a little bit more vulnerability. Let me communicate to my partner. Let me even just say, hey, you know, I'm actually feeling really overwhelmed right now. I actually need to end the night right now, but I just wanted to tell you, like, I'm really connected to you. I really want this to work, but like, I got some stuff I need to figure out. It's really until we understand our own emotional energy, how could we possibly be successful in a relationship that is predicated on emotional energy? It's like you can't get the math on that to work. And that's why. A lot of people are in really long-term, unsatisfying, painful relationships, and it doesn't have to be that way. Before we continue on, we're going to take a short break to tell you about our sponsors. Do you want to know one of my favorite meals? It's a slice of toasted bread with tomato, mozzarella, basil, olive oil, salt and pepper, and a little drizzle of balsamic glaze. 
makes my heart happy. It's so simple. It's so delicious. And I love that all the ingredients get to show off their individual flavors. I used to eat it all the time as my easy go-to meal. And then all of a sudden, there was a ton of messaging out there telling me that I shouldn't eat carbs and that I shouldn't eat bread and that bread is bad. And I hate to admit it, but I cut out bread entirely for the longest time. And it wasn't until recently that I started to understand that not all bread is created equal. Hero Bread makes those same delicious favorites free of consequences or compromises. They've remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and fewer calories, plus protein and fiber. I highly recommend that you give their bread a try. They're giving Relationship Advice listeners 10% off when you visit Hero. .co and use the code I do at checkout. I was so excited to discover Hero Bread. It's truly amazing and they've made a product that is tasty and soft while having 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 0 grams of sugar and high in fiber. I'm not going to lie, their white bread is so good and it makes the best tomato and mozzarella sandwich. Last week, Stella and I were back in Florida visiting our family and we all walked to the lake and the only bread we had in the house was hero bread. So we grabbed a slice, walked to the lake, and by the time we got there, Stella had eaten the whole piece of bread and of course, wanted more. So the poor ducks didn't get any hero bread, but Stella did. Since I had cut out bread for a while, every time I ate low-quality bread, my body felt bad. It felt bloated and I didn't feel great. But with Hero Bread, I feel good after eating it, which makes my life so much easier because now I can go back to my easy grab and go sandwiches when I'm on the run. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code I do at checkout. That's I do at H E R O dot C O. Hey, Love Tribe. I just want to ask you a few questions. I want to know why you guys are here. Are you here because you want to stop bickering with your partner? Do you want to feel truly heard? Are you looking for ways to reignite your sex life? Or do you want to feel more emotionally connected with your partner? And let's not forget about the fun. Do you long for those fun, giggly moments at the beginning of your relationship? Over the last decade of hosting this podcast with Chase, these have been our top questions. And we get it. We've been there. And that's why we created Spark My Relationship course, because we wanted to put the tools to unlocking a fulfilling relationship right in your hands. So we're offering this course, Spark My Relationship, for only $100 until April 6th. In less than 90 days, this self-paced course will help you create more passion, improve your communication, and build a stronger, more intimate connection with your partner all while having fun doing it. We've collaborated with over 15 psychologists and therapists to bring you the strategies that marriage therapists teach their clients. This offer is only going to last until Saturday, April 6th. So head on over to our website, sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code FLASH24 at checkout to get the course for only $100. That's nearly 60% off and it won't last. The sale ends April 
six. That's sparkmyrelationship.com and use the code FLASH24 to get our course for only $100. Real quick, a little aside, you mentioned that you you have two kids and we're talking about these childhood wounds and Sarah and I have a a seven-year-old daughter, Stella, and I think a lot about making her feel secure and and not messing things up. And we do the best we can. But as someone, uh, an expert in the field of relationships with kids, how do you think about raising them to be securely attached? And, you know, Stella, for instance, is a very anxious kid to begin with. And so I I want her to to be able to self-soothe in a sense, but I I also want to be there for her and make sure she feels safe. So anyways, uh, how do you think about that? I mean, I think about that question now, not just not just professionally, but very personally, too. You know, my joke is like, I know my kids are going to end up on a therapist's couch, too. I think so. First of all, I think we have to have such grace for ourselves as parents. So I said that the long term romantic relationship is the most complex relationship on the planet. That is true. The relationship between parent child is the most powerful relationship on the planet. And that's because of the neurobiology of it. Right. So I think I think the work of us as parents, and I have a lot of humility coming into this, but you know, I, I've also done a lot of this, this work clinically, you know, know the research really well. The whole idea is to become a healthy human being. This is true across the board, is you really just need three things. Okay. Your brain has a thinking system, your brain has a behaving system, and your brain has a feeling system. When all three of those systems are acting in alignment, you are a very powerful, healthy, integrated human being. In other words, I think what I feel and I behave how I feel. Everything is in alignment. I have a lot of integrity in the way my energy is moving through life. I think what we have to be careful of for our, for our children is to start dividing them away from their emotional systems. So the child says, I don't really want to go to the birthday party. And the mom goes, oh, oh, sweetie, you do want to go. You're going to have a great time when you get there. Go ahead, go ahead. Or the child says, hey, I think I I, I can really climb up this slide. And I get anxious. Like I have like these, you know, freaky thoughts of my kid falling off the slide. And I'm like, I'm like, Isaiah, get down, get down, come come down off that slide. And Isaiah's like, I I actually think I'm fine. But I'm like, no, 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 come, come on, come on, come on. Or my kid's at the pool and he starts arguing with another little kid. And I get in there and I'm like, hey, Isaiah, you give that, you give that ball back to Jimmy. You it's like, can I just let, can I just trust the inherent intelligence in my child? Really trust it. Now here's the twist, Chase. This is such a big piece. A lot of us parents will say, we do trust our children. Oh my God, they're brilliant. They're like miracles. Like, you know who we don't trust? We don't trust ourselves. There is no more powerful leadership on this planet than the parental leadership, again, because of the neurobiology. Here's the thing. I can only give to you, dear child, what I already possess with inside of myself. So if I really don't trust myself, I'm over time, especially, I'm really going to struggle to trust you. And a lot of times that that lack of trust in myself is going to translate to you is my own anxiety my own control, my own micromanagement, my own demands. If I don't really like myself, 
I'm going to send you signals both overtly and implicitly that like, we shouldn't really like ourselves. So I think what happens, I don't think, I know what happens is all the time, the parent has very, well, this is not all the time, but overwhelmingly, the majority of the time, the parent has very good intentions for their child, but they're not really listening to the authentic energy of the child. A perfect example of this is like, I really want my kid to get an excellent nine to five corporate job. And the reason the parent wants that is because like, They think it's going to make them financially secure. It's going to make them an upstanding citizen in society. They're going to have good relationships. But the child has been signaling now for about seven years, like, I'm not going that route in my life. And instead of being like, how can I believe in this child and trust this child and work with the energy of the child, the parent kind of gets more entrenched and then pulls, kind of pulls the energy in the other direction. And so then the child and the parent become in this this sort of energetic tug of war. And that can happen when your child is 37 and that can happen when your child is seven. So it's like, how do we cultivate, again, this ability to really read emotional energy so we can become the stewards of both our parental relationships and our romantic relationships that we need to be? I love that. We don't talk about it much, but a lot of our listeners will have kids and we talk a lot about how to relate better in these tools. And I always think about how we're not taught them when we're young and trying to pass these things on to Stella and, and you know, having her communicate. But also what you're saying is, is like listening to their wisdom because they do kind of know to an extent. And a lot of times it's just, we can get too involved in pushing our own agenda. Then we're carrying our own childhood wounds and we're projecting them onto our children. And even by not maliciously, like loving them too much, smothering them, you know, not letting them be an autonomous being. Totally. I'll tell you, I'll give you two great examples. One from my own personal life. So I have a, I have a seven-year-old too. And um, he went across the street and he knocked on the door of his little friends. And I was watching this. I was like sitting on the porch and the friend said, we don't want to play with you right now. And it was, it was, they said a matter of fact like that. They just said, we don't want to play. It was like the most, it was like this really childhood innocence. My heart was like shattered. My kid came like skipping back across the street. And I was like, do I even like ask? And I couldn't help myself. So I said, oh, like, are your feelings hurt? And he's like already climbing up the tree. And he's like, no. So whose feelings really need attending to in that moment? Mine do. (laughs) So I have to have the wisdom and the emotional power to say, all right, this is some old, some old coding from myself about what rejection looks like. Like, and actually when I, when I thought about it, I'm like, that is such a healthy, was such a healthy interaction. He went over there. He was like, do you want to play? They just said, really, matter of fact, we don't want to play right now. He went home. He climbed a tree. I think the other kids were back over later that night. But if I would have got in there and been like, oh, are you are you okay?" Then the child starts to think, well, I thought I was okay, but I obviously really respect you as the parent. So now I'm starting to worry. Am I okay or not? Let me tell you this other example clinically, because I think it will it will like even if you have kids or not, I think a lot of times the people we love, we make this kind of egocentric assumption that we know what's going on, okay? This happens with our romantic partners. It certainly happens with our children. 
So I was working with a family and and it was a it was a young child and the child had very significant um delays and so the the child was not really especially verbal and the child had a lot of trouble going to the doctor. And so the parents were like we know why the kid doesn't want to go to the doctor. Like who likes going to the doctor? You have to have things stuck in your mouth and you have to have like sometimes you have to get, you know, like the vaccines and shots and stuff like this. So one of the 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 most evidence-based treatments for like restoring the parent-child relationship requires relational intelligence. It requires us to really listen to our children without assumption. It turned out that the kid loved being in the car And the mother would listen to books on tape while the kid was in the car. And he didn't want to go into the doctor's office, not because he was afraid of shots or having things stuck in his mouth, but because he didn't want to stop listening to the book on tape. So when we found an accommodation for the book on tape, we got him little AirPods and he could go in. Lo and behold, he had no problem going into the doctor's. And the reason I think that story is so powerful is a lot of times we assume that we understand what's happening in other people's brain and other people's nervous systems. And the truth is we have to come in with a lot of humility. I love that example. And it's so powerful for parenting and for romantic relationships. Just that point you made at the end there, Dr. Julia. So I think this is a great place to wrap up. I really love all these nuggets of... uh, insight. And and I'm glad we talked about the parenting stuff because obviously, selfishly, I'm a parent, but I know a lot of our listeners are too. And and this is going to be really valuable for them. So before we wrap up, can you tell our listeners where they can find you online about your new book? And then we'll say goodbye. That sounds great. Yeah. So I have a new book coming out. It's called Energy Rising. And it's exactly about these things that we've been talking about. How do we really learn how to powerfully command our emotional energy so that we can have very, very powerful, satisfying, connected relationships at home and at work. So that's energy rising. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I'm all, I'm at Dr. Julia DeGangi on all those platforms. Excellent. Well, we will have those links in our show notes and on our website. And thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Thanks again for having me, Chase. Thank you guys so much for tuning into today's episode. As always, all the links to the guest as well as any of their recommendations will be in the show notes page. You can find the link to that in the episode description or by going to idopodcast.com. Click on the podcast tab up at the top and you will have access to all the episodes that we've ever done. There are over 300 of them. Uh, And while you're on our website, if you haven't checked out our free 14-day happy couple challenge, We really hope you do. It's a free email challenge that we send to you. It's 14 days of fun, easy, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And if you're looking for something that provides a little more help with working on your relationship, whether it's improving intimacy or communication with your partner or just bringing the spark back, we would love for you guys to check out our online course, Spark My Relationship. We're offering $100 off to all of our listeners if you go to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. We've worked with over 15 psychologists and therapists to create the real life tools and strategies that they are teaching their clients. So we wanted to give them to you. It's a self-paced online course that can be done 
in as little as a month or up to three months. You can really decide how much or how little you want to do with your partner or maybe just yourself. So we hope you guys check that out. It's sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Have a great day. listening to a pleasure podcast for more from our sex podcast collective visit pleasurepodcasts.com